Welcome to Sweeping the Country, a very special, and I mean very special, vault edition. Ladies and gentlemen, my co-host today, Mr. Jimmy Carter. Hey, Jimmy. Oh, let me tell you, this guy, uh, he's just, he, he's so smart. He's so much fun to talk to and to be around. He is the most commercially successful Hollywood director or anybody's movie director of all time. Wow. Wow. I mean, Jaws. The Nick. color purple, anything, e. anything, Indiana you... Jones series, all oh of them, God. Jurassic Park, the original, oh, yeah. Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, uh, and on and on and on. Any movie you ever loved, <laughs> that's <laughs> just about. about yeah, uh, he's explored all kinds of different areas, and uh, Steven Spielberg is now seventy-five, <laughs> born in Cincinnati, Ohio. His alma mater is California State University, Long Beach. He's been making movies since 1959. Oh, man. And, you know, he was not an overnight success. He did, you know, a lot of stuff, and he just really wanted it really bad. And uh, he's got a lot of great stories about things he did to get on the lot at Universal. I bet. You know, he directed a couple of night galleries in Columbo's. Columbo? And then did the television film Duel yeah, in yeah. 1971 before they let him go with the Sugarland Express, which did all right. Yeah, yeah. And then he became a household dun, name dun, 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 with dun. the movie Jaws what? in 1975. Mm. Now the, That movie, by the way, that movie, thank you, Stephen, uh, basically wrecked my ability to go into the ocean for oh, the rest of my everybody. life. I, yeah, it I mean, changed it everybody's <laughs> position. No one has a, that's ever seen that movie has ever gone to the beach. Right. In fact, right now when and we do it. this, yeah. which is the end of June 2022, yeah. They tag a lot of great white sharks. They've tagged like oh, 230 really? of them or mm -hmm. 280, something like that. And many of them are headed toward Cape Cod great. as we speak great. because they don't know why. They, they're leaving their Florida warmer waters and going up to the warmer waters now of Cape Cod. So if anybody's swimming off the coast of uh, Massachusetts, you yeah. might want to watch the movie get Jaws and see how that works <laughs> or out get, for everybody. Get out of the water. But when we talked the first time, I think it was uh, – like 1991, and uh, Steven Spielberg, he was always one of the sharpest guys in the room. I think this was for the movie Hook, and in the middle of it, you're going to hear this interview disrupted. It's going to stop, and you're going to not figure out what is going on. It's because Robin Williams stuck his head in, oh, and then came, I said, come on over. So he came over <laughs> oh and God. stood behind Steven uh, with his hands on his hips, and then they were talking, and then we go back to the interview. But I love that's it. what you hear in the middle of the Steven Spielberg for his movie that he really enjoyed doing. I didn't even put it in the list, mm -hmm. and that was Hook. Well, Stephen, I've gotten the uh, great book of movie directors here and wanted to read a couple of things from you that you may or may not remember saying. In 1982, I've been waiting for Hollywood to leave me alone and stop forcing me to make these $30 million movies so I can get around to making something I really want to make. Nearly a $100 million movie. That's what you're for. Well, well, now they're trying to get me to make these $60 million movies, you know? I know you wanted to make smaller films, and you have, but, I mean, this is fun for you. This is really Hollywood when you get to do all these sets and use all your tricks. Yeah, this is like old Hollywood, you know, and, and this is like a combination of all the crafts that all come together for an event like a fantasy, when you make a fantasy film, and everybody brings their craft to the table. Um, and that's fun for me. I mean, I mean this is kind of like my, my water that I love swimming in. But I haven't swum in this water for a while because I've been... You know, you know, completely wrapped up in whatever, you know, I happen to be feeling that year I made Color Purple. I happened to really want to do that movie, and, mm -hmm. and, and I wasn't trying to kick myself into an adult mode. I just really responded to the material. 
Empire of the Sun responded to the book and made the movie. I was also not trying to force myself into, let's call it the Oliver Stone or the Jonathan Demme school of filmmaking. Um, but it's fun. I, th I like variety a lot, you know, and I like moving from one kind of uh, territory, unexplored perhaps, into another kind of territory more familiar, as, as Hook is to me. Well, this is a good movie to, uh, I, I can't wait to take my littlest one and put her on my lap and we watch this movie together. And uh, there aren't movies, aren't nearly enough movies that you can do this with. And uh, that's what I liked about this movie. I wanted to make it generationally, too, you know, so I could, you know, bring my whole family to the movie. Because we always open the paper on a weekend, you know, mm -hmm. and usually we divide up. It's, uh, okay, I'll go see, okay, I'm going to see this movie, and then uh, the kids can go, <laughs> we'll drop the kids off at this cartoon, and we'll pick them up later. I mean, I mean usually I can't find a movie myself right. to take the whole family to, so... Part of it was that Dustin said he wanted to make the movie because he wanted to make it for his kids. Mm -hmm. That he had never made a film for his kids. Even Tootsie was too grown up for his right. kids. And he had never made a picture in his entire career for children. And that, was, that gave him a hunger to play Captain Hook. When I left this film, and when I first saw it, it, it had this feel of a classic. I mean, it is a classic story. But I think you've made a classic, and that's something I know you wanted to do. But were you scared during this thing, this whole process of just going crazy and just blowing up because it's so big? Well, yeah. I mean, I was scared every day I came to the set. I'd come to the set with my stomach turning over and over and over, partially because of the sheer responsibility. You know, you know, you know I, I'm, I feel real responsible to the people who take chances on movies. You know, I don't pull in my own pocket, and I don't pay for these movies myself. They're paid for by the studios, like the banks. You know, in this case, TriStar and Sony paid for Hook. In the case of the Indiana Jones films, Paramount paid for them. I mean, different studios pay for different pictures, and I've always felt a real responsibility. So when somebody gives me more money than I've ever had to make a, mo make a movie before, this is the most expensive film I've ever had my hands on, not because that was the goal, but bringing Neverland to life happens to cost more money than bringing downtown Los Angeles to life. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 was, it was just part of the ingredients to make a kind of layer cake like this. It just was was rich in ingredients and high calories and it cost a lot of money. That's what got me nervous. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. I didn't want to disappoint the audiences in tinkering with a, 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 a renowned classic such as the original J.M. Barry, Peter Pan. And I didn't want to, you know, disappoint the, 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 the studio. So I, I, I walk a fine line between my, my yearning to make films for audiences and yet in a film like this with so much writing on it in terms of what it cost, my not wanting to let the the backers down. So, so it's, it's, when it's, Steven Spielberg's in, so when Steven Spielberg's in a wad, what do you like? Uh, well, I got no fingernails for one thing, <laughs> which I don't often show on TV. Don't zoom in because <laughs> I'm embarrassed by him. Uh, and when I'm in a wad, I chew on things. You know, I, I do what John Ford did a lot, and I, I, I learned this from him. He he used to p pull up his collar. Mine's buttoned down right now, and he used to chew on that. When that was done, he'd pull on a handkerchief. So I have all these nervous habits. A lot of time when I'm watching a scene, I have calloused this finger. Because when I'm directing and I'm watching like Robin and Dustin act, I have this one finger and I'm biting on my finger for as long as the scene goes, you know. And, and so I'm just a basket. I'm a basket case, basically. But not a yeller or screamer, more of an intense going crazy no, on no, the no, inside. No, no, it's, it's real focused on what I'm watching, usually, yeah. yeah. And then I noticed a couple of things. You, you have an idea and you plan and you do all this wonderful planning. And then you get out there and you find that something doesn't work and that's expensive. And I know that makes your stomach even go crazier to make the decision, we've got to redo this again and blow a day. Well, yeah, you know, it, a couple of scenes we shot over again from, the, from, from scratch, from beginning to end, only because we were learning our characters. And, and there's a learning curve on any, any movie. You can get the best script 
but sometimes the words don't sound right and you've got to bring people back in to change the words around a bit and make it sound better make it sound more to the to to the to the to the voice that the, the character hears dustin has a hook voice in his head he tries to capture that and that becomes his character he did the same thing with raymond babbitt and rain man and dorothy michaels and tootsie robin's the same way robin has a little voice that's sort of and, and i try to guide the actors in finding these voices and sometimes we find a voice and we, then we see the dailies and we realize what we need to do now. What we need to do is find the same voice with a, a slightly lower register. And uh, on two scenes with Hook, we actually went back and reshot yeah. some of the scenes. What would Steven Spielberg, the movie critic, be like? I mean, you go to movies on the weekend, I guess, with family. I mean, are you tough? Are you, you watching no, him like I, a surgeon? I'm or a you watching him? critic. I, I like everything. It's my problem. I find good in everything. Even p movies that people say, how could you say one come back thing? here come here do this. if you're gonna do this sit in his lap and let him let's, let's tell a story oh or something my God. because i told Whoa, him he, i told him he couldn't over. stand up and say i want to see your genitals so my eyes here we go again one we'll one never second. see this it's elvis pan hey elvis elvis this is the other problem with making the movie talking about how hard it was laughing yeah we had to we, we, the laughing hurt the laughing <laughs> the laughing hurt in the sides in the throat and in the back in the mind no. He, is a, he is an editor's nightmare, though. I mean, editors see him and they go, ah! You know, because he comes in, he shows up, he's cutting on him all the time, you can't cut on a half a phrase. Like, it's hard to get a two-shot right now, right? <laughs> I hope so. Time. Damn it, I can't hold it! <laughs> Damn it, Jim, the camera's too wide! Bones go wide! I'll be back. We love you. We've got gifts and things. Gifts. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. Every day on the He movie, makes me sweat, too. You, I mean, I, I sweat I, when I he's around. I don't mind if Robin hears this. When Robin was playing Peter Banning, when... You can he's hear talking this. about you? you? can hear this. I can't, When Robin was playing Peter Banning, who's the guy with no imagination, yeah. uptight, you know, workaholic, you know, very focused on his work, very little peripheral vision toward his family. He was at his funniest between shots because he was the least comfortable playing that character. When he began to evolve into the pan, then he, he was able to express it more through the character and less in between the shots. I thought it was really interesting mm -hmm. about Robin. What is your relationship with your older movies, the ones that you've done in the past? I mean, you look at them like books on a shelf. Are they like your children? Uh, do you have fond memories? Do you have some you regret? Uh, I mean, how, how do you, what is your relationship with them? Well, they're all kind of like, like family. You know, all the movies are like family because you spend so much time on each one of them, some of them more than others. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that a film like E.T. where I didn't spend that much time on, you know, I, I had the idea for like 10 years in my head, but the movie I made very, very quickly. I, I, you know, it doesn't make the fondness any less. But I look at all movies as being, in a way, a, 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 a where I was during those that year. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can look at E.T. and I know where I was in 1981-82, and I can look at Empire of the Sun. I know exactly who I was in 1987. And what was going on in your life? What was going yeah. on in my life? And I think a lot of the movies that I, I choose to make are completely. I was in a very good place. I was very happy, and I, and Hook was as a result of how happy I was in my life. Mm in my family, with my family, and I think Hook's a result of that, and, and I think a lot of the movies are basically uh, litmus tests. The movie Hook, I don't think it was anywhere near as big a success. I know in the middle of this, some off-camera stuff, uh, Julia Roberts was acting a little bit like a tart, like I oh, always really? kind of thought she was, and uh, she was, I think, getting ready to marry or stop marrying or do something with Kiefer Sutherland. They broke up or whatever. Wow. And this was going on while they're making uh, Hook, and Hook had almost every soundstage in Los Angeles book. Cause he had so many sets, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that had to be built for it. It was an enormous 
enormous project it was with great Robin movie. Williams it was and great. Dustin Hoffman and all those classic people. Yeah. Uh, the story of Peter Pan. But I know Spielberg went out and had a talk with Tinkerbell. Did he? <laughs> and pretty much told her she better straighten out or he was going to get her out of the film. Wow. And so she straightened out after that. And that's kind of one of those stories that doesn't get told because it's yeah. not particularly correct. But uh, yeah. yeah. Now, Spielberg had a movie that I loved and it was not a tremendous success for him called 1949, no, 1941, excuse me. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the best big budget comedies of all time. It's I've up there with it's it. a mad, 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 mad world. I got to see And it. it's a Japanese invasion. <laughs> it, they, it, Californians were preparing to be invaded after the attack of Pearl Harbor. That is the truth. And Spielberg knew he was doing a comedy, but it was a lighthearted theme. And it is so funny. It is so, so funny. Studio heads disliked the film. Uh, the guy who's L.A. Times critic described 1941 as the most copious waste and major oil spill when it comes to resembling what it was. Jeez. Another critic wrote 1941 isn't simply a silly slur against any particular race, sex or generation. It makes war against all humanity. <laughs> I don't know what they're trying to say there, but he knows it was one of my favorite films. Spielberg, he loved that film. John Williams did the score. And if you could ever okay. find it. It's got John Candy in it. It's got everybody in the world in that movie. 1941. I highly recommend it. Now, we're going into a movie I've only seen once. I don't want to see it again. I saw it once. It indelibly affected me. During one scene, I actually unconsciously grabbed the guy's arm that was on the armrest next to me. Wow. We saw it in a theater in, uh, in Glendale. I think it was DreamWorks actual home office where they had the screen. And I think Spielberg and everybody was there, but it was like a screening room, but a, but a, but a nice half size theater with the most unbelievable sound. Yeah. Yeah. And I grabbed the guy when the, we, when the airplanes were strafing the beach of Normandy, this is the movie that we went to see and talked to Steven about in 1998. Saving Private Ryan. I love this quote, so see what she says. It says, Stephen, he hears everything, he knows everything, he sees everything, and remembers everything. Is that true? Well, thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the quote, Mom. Um, uh, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, According to my kids, no, that's not true at all. It's not an accurate quote at all. According <laughs> to my kids, I, I miss more. This came from your cinematographer, I think. Okay. Oh, Janusz Kaminski. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good, um, because sort of in, together as a team, we're in the business of seeing things, and, and we, we have to. How have you changed in, say, 10 years of directing? Can you see a visible change in how you conduct yourself on a set and how you edit and how you do your films? I, you know, I think that I've changed in, in, in terms of the subject matter that interests me more as an older person than when I was a much younger mm -hmm. filmmaker. Um, but in terms of how I approach a story and, 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 and how I, you know, you know, gather the best people I can possibly gather around me to help make the movie, I think that's remained pretty consistent. Pretty good at delegating? Yeah, I'm very good at delegating. You have to because and the trust. movie is a collaboration. You cannot, you know, you know we're not w Willem de Kooning painting, you know, you know, American Impressionism on a, Expressionism on a, on a canvas, it really, everybody has a, a hold of that brush. I know you, you, you did it on purpose to us as an audience in the first 30 minutes of this film, and I know you're hearing a lot about it, and I'm seeing the print people write a lot about that. You really did want to knock us on the head really hard in that first 30 minutes, didn't you? 
Well, not in, in a sadistic way. I, I, I simply wanted you know people to understand that, that these soldiers fought the war very close to the way we've attempted to represent it. That this wasn't a glorification of war. I wasn't trying to romanticize World War II, which has, as you know, been utterly romanticized mm. over the years, starting with the John Wayne pictures, as a as, as as a noble war. It was certainly a necessary war, but I certainly wanted to immediately debunk the mythology of that war in the first you know 24 minutes of the picture. So I've, you, you've said I think before that John Wayne probably would not like this movie. Why? Well, I don't think John Wayne would like the movie because I don't think the movie you know, you know, uh, um, characterizes the war as a something to, as, to aspire to become part of. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 it represents, you know, what happened as graphically as the, 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 the people who have written about the war, like Stephen Ambrose and the, and the you know, the veterans who fought in that mm -hmm. war who reported directly to us. I mean, it's their story that I really wanted to tell. I wasn't really interested in telling a sanitized version mm -hmm. of that war because they didn't fight a sanitized war. You know, some of my favorite movies, as I went back thinking about after I've seen this movie, I said, man, my, some of my favorite movies are like The Great Escape. I even like A Bridge Too Far. These are not perfect movies, but I enjoy Midway. I like those type of stories because they're about heroes, they're about people overcoming adversity, good over evil, all the good things that, you know, sometimes literature and even film has done for us. But no one really has tried to take the polish off the war, have they really? No, I don't think so. I think Oliver Stone did a very good job taking the polish off the war with Platoon. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of really good anti-war movies that were made in the 50s, like Sam Fuller's Steel Helmet, mm -hmm. that took the polish off the war. Even even William Wellman's film Battleground, made in 1947 after the war, you know, to, to somewhat tried to show, represent what really happened in Bastogne. As but, a young director, were you a war? Did you like war movies? Is that some of the genre yes. of films that you happen to like? Yeah, uh, war movies. I much preferred war movies to westerns when I was growing up. Me too. Because they were always on television, and I watched all of them. Believe mm -hmm. me. Um, but it wasn't until Vietnam came on television, literally every night, mm -hmm. and I began watching that. And my friends began going over to Southeast Asia. We were all in college, and a lot of my friends uh, were drafted, and I was just on the verge of being drafted before I, I, I became. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a high lottery number when the lottery was inaugurated. But uh, that changed it for me, and that was the time yeah, that I realized that war was not all that it was shown to us over the years. Do you worry, you know, you're a video game guy. I know you and Robin yeah. Williams play all the time. some kind of high-tech thing you yeah. guys do that yeah. I've never quite understood what this is. But do you think that we've really gotten the generation now that have really into this video game thing, and they don't realize that people really maybe die and they get bloody and their arms come off and horrible things happen in war? And you're going to show them. Right? They're going to learn. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they're going to. I think that in a sense, the video games, in a way, which is, I mean, when you get shot in a video game, you, you know, just disappear. You, well, <laughs> when you get shot, maybe more blood comes out of you than people have in their systems <laughs> in real life. I mean, it's all yeah. kind of, kind of accentuated and sensationalized and and turned into a kind of theater of the macabre. I think a lot of these mm -hmm. video games are very macabre and not 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 very realistic. Uh, uh, what we did was real, realistic, or at least attempted to be realistic. Um, I think that a lot of movies and a lot of video games have desensitized young people to violence. And I think in a sense what, what this movie could do is resensitize you know, you know, those same people mm -hmm. into understanding that, that, that this, is, this is serious business. All your movies are a personal thing. Is this pretty personal to you, this film? Yeah. I mean, I mean Schindler's yeah. List, obviously, I know was personal yeah. to you. Yes. 
but you know you didn't go out and talk about it a lot in the press particularly mm -hmm. uh, do you feel certain something about this film that you really want to get the message out of something well yeah I mean I, I, I there were a couple messages the first thing is I would like people to see the picture of a certain age I, I would not like people coming to see this movie who are 14 years old or under and I, and, and I kind of went on the road with this picture which I haven't done in about 17 right. years basically to warn parents if they still have control over their 14 year olds um, and certainly anybody younger than that is this is literally a picture they shouldn't even you know go to see with an adult with them they should just not see it at all and I think around 15 over that kids who are driving cars now and mm. and and many kids died fought and died at 17 in Normandy um, I think that's appropriate appropriate age to see this picture so I was concerned about the level of reality and just wanting to let people know and, and, and you know from me personally uh, you know that this might not be a film for everyone but I think those who who can manage it are going to be fulfilled by it do I get the impression that you're kind of a juggler in many ways that you can work on more than one thing at one time or do you find yourself working on more than one film, more than one project, you know, doing a lot of stuff? I, I can work on a lot of things at one time. Often I won't. When I made Schindler's List and when I made Saving Private Ryan, I only made those pictures. I did no other business. Um, but, but sometimes it helps me when I'm working on something to do something else for a half an hour, 45 mm -hmm. minutes, because what that gives me is it gives me my objectivity back, something that a filmmaker loses very quickly when they're making a picture. If I can divert myself and do something else and then come back to it again, I usually come back to it and I suddenly see it from a fresh angle. So we're no threat of Randy Travis getting a phone call in the middle of the night. <laughs> hey, this is Steven. I found a great song that someone pushed for me. No, no, no I, won't, I, won't, <clears throat> I, I will not be infringing into any song business in my life. I, no, I, have, I, I have a tin ear. Your name is on, the, on that, but you let the other guys mess with the musical side of DreamWorks, right? Yeah, I'm a good audience for them. You're a good audience for them. And we've heard you attached to every kind of movie known to man. I heard one today, Charles Lindbergh's story with Tom Cruise. Is there any truth to that one? Well, there's no truth to Tom Cruise and Charles Lindbergh. Uh, there is the truth that, that, that uh, my company, DreamWorks, purchased the, the film rights to Scott Berg's as yet what unpublished book. What a neat story. Book. I'd like to see that. It's movie. a good story of uh, 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 Charles Lindbergh. He said Tom uh, might have been interested in that, but I'm sure he's interested in a lot of things. That's all. Yeah. Both Toms. Yeah. The other Tom would be yeah. good in that, too. I think I should only cast Toms for Charles Lindbergh. Nobody They're all else. good. All the Toms are good. Tom Sizemore, he's, he's fine. So all that. Well, it's good seeing you again. And this good is really a, a special movie. And I'm glad you kind of, I was wondering, my 12-year-old who's pretty sophisticated moviegoer, I didn't think I was going to expose her to this, but I, you never know anymore. I don't know where to go with that sometimes. Yeah, I, I just know that every family knows their children really well, and they, they're the ones that need, need to be the judge of that. But I'm just sort of telling people who will listen to me that I, I, I don't want my children who are under 14 to see this picture. So 16, or driver's under, license and up. Yeah, I mean, me driver's permit and up. 15 and up, is that, I think, is okay, and then, and then 14 below is not. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you All very right. much. So Steven Spielberg, you know, he's won every kind of award, and... You know, he deserves it. And all those Raiders of the Lost Ark things and everything else. I forgot and, about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I totally forgot about that. That was another series that was so great. A series of great God. films. And he's he's big buddies and has been always with George Lucas. Mm -hmm. uh, they've just played off of each other, you know, to help each other through a lot of different things. And uh, wow. E.T., though, you think of Closer Encounters of the Third Kind, Lord. Yeah. What a great movie that was. Yeah. And even the extended version that he put some more stuff in. Yeah. It was you know, where I, well, I don't want to say because some people may not have actually seen it, but E.T. Yeah. E. grossed 700 million worldwide. And that's with those dollars from the 80s. Yeah. That it's was, a billion dollar movie. Yeah. No doubt. You know, no to doubt. say. And, uh, and again, his movies are so technically 
good. The cinematography, the John Williams music accompanies, I guess all of them. Yeah, they've been partners in crime, you know, for the whole thing. So they've won a lot of Oscars together. And uh, George Lucas, Harrison Ford, you know, have all been there with Stephen, and uh, even the ones that have not been particularly the biggest hits in the world. Yeah, you know, he's been executive producer of a ton of things, and it's just he's just an amazing person. Seventy-five, heading towards seventy-six. And uh, whatever he's won, he deserves. Is he still and, doing uh, it, Jimmy? I mean, is he still in the game? Is he? Is he still? Yeah, I think he. Yeah, he's still still pretty active, you know, in doing stuff. I mean, West Side I think Story he's was about the, the projects, but yeah, yeah I didn't, West Side Story was his, and I wasn't real crazy about that. And Amistad was another one that I didn't get into yeah. very well. But man, when you're something, you know, Band of Brothers, he did with Tom Hanks yeah, in yeah. the early two thousands, and uh, the Minority Report. Um, yeah, great. Yeah. With with Tom Cruise. I didn't care about that. Yeah. Catch Me If You Can was a weird movie uh, with Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. That was who was in love that. that. Right. I love that. He was a p- fake pilot for Pan Am. That was great. That was yep. great. Yeah. Great. Uh, the Terminal was a weird one. That was one with Tom Hanks. Yeah. War of the Worlds was 2005. That was okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I liked the original. Munich was, was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a deep film. So he's, you know, you just never know what you're going to see. From Steven Spielberg. So he's still got a little gas in the tank. Executive producer of some of those Transformer movies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, again, he, he's had a lot to do with his name's been on a lot of different, a lot of different films. And uh, uh, Lincoln was another one. He directed that one with Daniel Day Lewis, 2012. Most people remember that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's, you know, he's done so much, done so much, but just fun guy to talk to like a big kid. He was real buddies with Robin Williams and they would play before anybody else knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. They were playing these game video games together where one would be in Northern California, one's in Southern California, and they were hooked up on some ISD line or something before anybody had any of that kind of stuff. And they played, they played against each other or played with each other or whatever they did, but they were real, they were real big buddies. So, Again, he's. I think he directed the new Indiana Jones that they did over in Italy. I'm pretty sure he did that and is in the process of putting that up. He's doing another movie called The Fablemans mm-hmm. uh, that's coming and filming began 2021. It's coming out in November of okay, 2020. So he's still on it. So yeah. he's got, you know, he's still got a lot of stuff. Amblin is his company that has an office on the lot of Universal. So he's, uh, he's always been very, very busy and, uh, you know, obviously. He's, they, as they say here, one of the 100 most important people of the century. Yeah, I, I'll give it to you. I mean, his movie making and producing and all that has been brilliant. His art, you know, brilliant. with just Jaws and E.T. alone, if he didn't do anything else. Right. But he's right. done so, much, so many others. Uh, Schindler's List, what a great, great film oh, that, that was. was. Very deep. That was. Very great. hard to watch, but uh, but he, brilliant. He and, has tackled some very tough topics, and he's uh, he's brought them to life. And that's what he has. So it was kind of cool just being able to sit with him over the years. And again, if you find 1941, he will appreciate it (laughs) and I'll appreciate it. And uh, he loves that movie. And so do I. Well, Jimmy, thank you for taking us uh, on the back lot of uh, Steven Spielberg and getting to know him, the man uh, outside, you know, outside the films that he's done. It's just always fascinating. That's what we do every week on The Vault. Make sure you tune in next week where we'll have a brand new artist celebrity. We'll go back in time and introduce you personally to them. Until next time on Sweeping the Country, I'm Derek Walker. Good day. And I'm Jimmy Carter.